This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a return guest, one of my favorite people in the world, Dr. Brianna Diorio. I'm sure a lot of you are already familiar with Brianna. She was on the podcast a long time ago, episode 121. Back in the day, we talked all about liver support, female hormones, all that fun stuff. Brianna and I have known each other for a long time. She's been with me through all of my different phases with my health journey and diets. And she is by far one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. I've learned so much for her and she helped me a lot. You know, when I was becoming a holistic nutritionist and just learning from her helped me so much. And I just, I, I adore her. She's hilarious. We have the same sense of humor. She holds a PhD in integrative medicine from the University of Natural Medicine. She is a clinical nutritionist with a master's of science in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport. She is also a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, an herbal practitioner through the Herbal Academy, a family herbalist through the School of Natural Healing, a NASM certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach through the Czech Institute. She knows her stuff. (laughs) She is a wealth of knowledge in every realm. I absolutely love hearing her geek out. I just always learn so much from her. And she is also the host of the Brianna Approved podcast, which I have been a guest on. So you can check out our episode there. It was lots of fun. We talked all about boundaries, which leads into her latest release, her new course, Befriending Anxiety, which is a self-paced course for anybody looking to take a deeper scientific dive into anxiety, which is a big piece of the conversation. In this episode, we talked a lot about anxiety and boundaries. We talked about not being so aggressive with your health protocols and health approaches. We talk about pro-inflammatory people. We talk about this balance between science and energy. We talk about raw dairy. We just go all over the place. So it's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. You know, I, what I love about Brianna is she is so intelligent and can give you a lot of science. She's also very realistic and she's very direct, very my style. We have the same sense of humor. So it's a fun way to learn, you know? And if you want to learn more from Brianna and check out her Befriending Anxiety course, you can go to briannadiorio.com. That link will be in the show notes. And you can also connect with her on Instagram. Her handle is at briannadiorio. That will also be in the show notes. Before we jump in, I just want to add a quick reminder that enrollment is open for the Manifestation Mastery Deep Dive Virtual Book Club. I am so excited about this. If you have read my book, Manifestation Mastery, you know there are so many layers to it. There's a lot of information. I know it's a lot to digest and a lot of you have expressed that it's helped you just to take your time with it slowly but surely. And also I know many of you have already read it multiple times, which I highly encourage you to do because there's just so much to unpack. There's a lot of juiciness. If you haven't already read it, then I think it could be really helpful to have some accountability and to follow the pacing of this deep dive experience. And the point of this was to really create some space so that we could go deeper into the meaning underneath all these different sections. So we're going to go section by section in the book and break apart the different concepts that 
come through around manifestation and how energy moves and flows and how to really step into your power as a co-creator of your own reality. I have been itching to do this for a long time and we're finally here. I just really wanted this space to share more about the deeper meaning behind everything that came through in the book and just share a lot more because for every sentence in this text, there is a whole packet of information underneath it. And, you know, because I channeled it, I have that unique experience of, of seeing that other lens and the other layers that the guides want to share. And of course, you'll have your own meaning that gets unlocked through reading this text as well. So I just wanted to create this space to really go deeper so that everybody can get as much out of this book as possible and we can shift out of just reading something and actually moving into integrating it and applying it and really seeing real change in, in our lives. So I'm really excited to unpack all of this with you all. It's going to be six months, one call a month for the next six months just to pace it out. So you'll have time to read the book, which it won't take you long, but we're going to, you know, break it apart with the different sections so you can read those sections and then be prepared for the call uh, related to those sections. So one call a month for the next six months, we're going to start in June. Each call will be about 90 minutes, maybe go up to two hours just depending on how long it takes. And there'll be time for questions and we can connect and every call will be recorded as well. So whether or not you can make it live, I highly encourage you to enroll in this so you get all of the recordings and can really unlock all of the layers of this book. I feel like it's, it's something that, you know, I always encourage everybody in the membership to really set their frequency for the day. And the way you start your morning is really important. And for me, I always like to listen to something really high frequency. So I might open up a couple pages of the book. I will listen to a channeled message. I like to do something that's kind of getting me in that flow. And this could be another resource you use, you know, in the morning, maybe you just turn on, and you listen to 10 minutes of the recording of us unpacking the book while you're getting dressed. And that can be like your morning frequency setting work. So I just think it's going to be really helpful, almost like user guide to go along with the text. So you're really getting the most out of it. And uh, I know that a lot's going to unlock for everybody who uh, signs up and steps into this. So if you want to check it out, the link will be in the show notes below. That's where you can sign up and enroll and uh, all the information will be there as well. So check that out in the show notes. And that's my main update. I'm super excited. We start in June. So that's it on my end. And now it's time to dive into today's episode. So enjoy this conversation with the incredible Dr. Brianna Diorio. Well, what do you have in your, in your cup? Today I have some marshmallow root and some passion <laughs> flower. Um, and I have some leftover, uh, fruit rinds. So like, if I like cut up strawberries and pineapples, I keep all that. And cause it's been so hot. I've just been making like herbal sun teas with that. But, you know, that's like my uh, seventh of 90th drinks for the morning lineup. You know how it goes. Yeah, I love that beverage, Queens. <laughs> Seriously, very on brand. All right. Uh, is it like a, is it cold though? It's, it's like a cold. Yeah, so I make it like I make it hot and I let it go sit outside, you know? Uh -huh. You can do it with hot tea and make like an herbal decoction. Yeah. And then I just either let it get to room temperature or I put it in the fridge. Love and then that. I open up my fridge and I say, what drink is calling me right now? Yeah. Well, I, I would love to see your, your drink selection in your, in your fridge. Oh my God. In New, so in New Jersey, they just started the new thing. It's really funny. They just started the new thing where you have to like bring your own bags, which is funny because Jersey's like, 
like so many years behind, but whatever, they're trying a for effort. And so I'm bringing my own bag in. I went to the store yesterday, 80% of my bag is just different beverages. I'm just like, Oh, here's like my antioxidant drink. Here's another seltzer water, like literally. And then I had like a protein bar and I was like, I, this sums up my life. So that's fine. (laughs) I was like, well now, now I I do want to talk about milk, but like now everybody's like, wow, you drink a lot of like, what are you doing with all this milk? And I'm like, I'm drinking it. Like my whole cart is just milk. Yeah. But, I want to hear about your raw dairy diet, uh, journey. Oh my God. I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. Like I, I we talked, we talked about this. Like I was really, how did I even, well, I got into, it was an intuitive thing. And mm-hmm. I first got into it because my friend told me to do the milk cleanse. I told you about mm-hmm. this. Like it was like yeah. an eight day cleanse. And I was like, wow, I feel amazing on milk. And then I started incorporating it more. And then I kept getting like spiritual, I kept getting spiritual guidance. I was, I kept asking my guides, like, what should I be eating? Cause I was just, my body was so out of balance and they just kept showing me milk and honey. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do milk and honey. And then they kind of led me to all of this other information and got me really into like, what did the gods eat in ancient Egypt and just going down that whole rabbit hole, you know, cause I'm yeah. in my like divine feminine priestess yeah. energy here. And so they were like, eat like you ate in Egypt, uh, in that lifetime. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I get into this whole milk thing and I start feeling great and satiated and like, you know, that I had struggled with satiety forever. And I was totally. like, what the hell it's, it was right here. And all that was going on. And then I like kind of looked outside my bubble and I was like, Oh, this is like a thing now. I've, I guess all these people are talking about raw dairy. I, w- I just got leather a completely different way. And then I started looking into the Ray Pete stuff and all of that. So, uh, yeah, but I, have you, have you like looked more into it? I just think that there's a dietary movement for everybody, but not for long times. Like I am pro try every single, I've always said this, be a diet agnostic, right? Like try as many different things as you can. And it kind of goes to that philosophy of like hyper fixation. You know, people do this with food all the time where they find something, even clothes, like, you know, they find something that works really well for them and then they do it for a super long time. And then they're like, okay, this isn't working for me anymore, which is really how you should be, I think, approaching anything with health, wellness, nutrition, or like whatever, working out because it's like, okay, this is what I need right now based off of the energy and where I'm at and how much I'm actually listening to my body, how much I'm forcing versus flowing. And like people do the opposite, you know, like that quote where it's like, you don't, you don't alter the dress to fit your body. Like that's like the the running joke. in like some of those movies are like, you alter your body to fit the dress. And like, mm. I think people do that with America too, where they're, they're like, you know, oh, I should be following this diet or taking this because this is what is working for everybody. And it's like, no, why don't you just check in with your body and be like, yeah, this is working for now. And then it doesn't like, you know, you and I joke all the time. I'm like, I'm going to do the pizza diet or like mm-hmm. the Aladdin bread diet, where I'm going to just eat like focaccia bread all day long and ciabatta. And cause that's like my brother and I joke all the time. I actually feel whenever I go visit him in Europe, I feel amazing when I eat nothing but bread and pasta and pizza like all day long. Even when we were like in Portugal, I ate bread, like literally four of my meals. It's the only thing that fills me up is bread. Like it's mm-hmm. the only time I get full. So I think just like, yeah, try whatever you want out. And if it doesn't work, then do something else. Like stop overcomplicating it. But raw dairy obviously is like a really beneficial food with all of the natural pro- proteins, carbs, fats, like 
all the raw enzymes. So, but who knows? There's probably a zealot out there who's telling you it's going to kill you. And then there's like 30 papers that tell you it can you can live. So it's like, who knows anymore? <laughs> well, you know what? Everything can kill you and everything can save your life. Like, it's, I mean, I think the bread diet is legit. It is. I mean, we like the white diet, did the white, the white diet, just all white rice, you know, yeah. and bread. I'm like, my diet right now is like sourdough bread and milk and fruit. And it, it's great. Amazing. We love Honestly, it. Honestly, I know you write like one book a week, basically, because yeah. you're just a machine. <laughs> you should write a book like that talks about this, of all the, the fads that you've tried and mm -hmm. being like, you should, but then like match it up with the energy being like, okay, if you're feeling some kind of way, like try this, whatever milk cleanse. If you're feeling this kind of way, like eat bread only for 30, like you've tried it. Like a lot of you've done the mm -hmm. potato. You and I used to joke all the time about the potato diet, like some other thing, it. you know, like the rice, whatever, <laughs> yeah. just try it out and like, have like, do it, do it like seasonally or something. Or I mean, eating with the seasons, who knows our bodies, yeah. you know, need to change too, but you should write a book on that. Well, funny thing, before I say that, just for anybody listening, I think the first time we ever, the first time we ever met in person, I was on my meat diet, wasn't I? I, I remember yeah. you coming over and I was eating a, like a, <laughs> a yeah. of meat. That's why I still send you the memes about like just yeah. eating my rotisserie chicken in my car. And you're like, yeah, it's me. We went to Erewhon and we like ate, I think you got like a platter of chicken. And I was like, I got a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> These are my people. That's the crew. Well, yeah, but so this is, um, this is the first time I've ever brought this up publicly, but I am. So they have basically been told me like I had to go through all this because they were training me for the vibrational diet book yeah. information. And I had downloaded a couple months ago, like this whole dietary framework based on energy. And then as I reflected back on all my experiments, they had me write out in my entire history and all the details and map it on. And then I realized, oh shit, like I got, like, I, it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, it all makes sense. So it is coming. It is coming. I'm don't excited. You remember you and I joked many moons ago about like writing a diet book about like chakras and different colors and mm -hmm. like the foods that match with the chakras and all of that. Like, so it's all, I mean, you know. it all comes together. I mean, it wasn't a joke. It yeah. wasn't, a, it was, it was a real, you know, you knew it was a manifestation. It was a manifestation. Yeah. Well, can you, okay. I just want to, before we move on from raw dairy, because people are like up in arms about this. Like I have so many of my friends who are like acting like me eating dairy, like I'm eating metal. Like it's so weird. And I don't know if you can speak at all to like, like, can you like, What's your position on dairy for somebody who's all these people are afraid of cheese, you know, they're afraid of milk. And like, I'm also, well, for me, to me, raw milk is like a completely different food than it is. crap milk, you know, can you, can you speak to this scientifically? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. I was, I would argue that probably upwards of 80 and I'm being on the conservative side, upwards mm -hmm. of 80% of those people who give you a hard time about dairy. Cause I used to be one of these people too, who was like, oh my God, how could you ever, um, you're selectively lactose intolerant. You're like, yeah, yeah, no dairy, no dairy. And then you're like binge to pizza at 2am. So like, or ice cream. So I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. Number one is with anything in health, there's going to always be a sliding scale of like, what's the absolute best option and what's maybe not a great option. And as I think we can all collectively agree, there are really no like quote, good, bad foods. There are foods that are more optimal, that have more nutrients, that have more constituents, antioxidants, so on and so forth. But everything on some level, unless you're going and like 
milking the cow yourself in the fields of Italy and like can see it down the road, like is processed. So that word is not even like a part of the conversation anymore. So like with dairy, like the gold standard is of course going to be organic, raw, grass fed, happy grazing little cow kind of dairy, right? Which is like we, a lot of people don't have access to that, which is part of the problem. Like it's literally illegal to get raw dairy in some places, which is wild to me. But that raw dairy is actually going to be really, really beneficial for a lot of people. And there's a lot of research that talks about people who truly are lactose intolerant or have issues with dairy. They mean processed homogenized dairy. Those kinds of people have been shown to be able to actually not only eat raw dairy, but also have health benefits. So things that normal conventional dairy like can cause problems with bloating and acne and you know, whatever rashes uh, can be triggering for eczema psoriasis. So like raw dairy still has a lot of those, it actually still has all of the enzymes present, right? That is what can actually help to cause less of that digestive effect that people have when they're eating the processed dairy. And then the full fat, raw grass-fed dairy as well, you're getting all of the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. And then, you know, I always joke, like, I'm like, when do you see a a low-fat cow hanging out in a field? You don't, like, they're all the same. And cows aren't like, you know, like they're eating grass, playing in the sun. So like, you know, you're getting all of that from them as well. So like, there's a lot of benefits, not only, like I said, from like the enzyme perspective and actually helping digestion and getting all those nutrients, but it can be less problematic for people. When most people have problem with dairy, it's the conventional dairy in America, which has been, you know, processed, quote, processed, homogenized. They've removed all the fat. So now they're adding in sugar, like story oldest, as old as time. Like we know all this stuff. That is when we're seeing problems with more people. So if you're going to have dairy to kind of sum up, like organic raw fat would be, you know, like the gold standard. And then if you can't get like raw dairy because of where you live or whatever, then at least at minimum, try and get like organic and um, pasture-raised, grass-fed if you can, and really try to stay away from, you know, non-organic again, because I think it's no secret these days that what the cows are getting fed, we know the antibiotics and the hormones and all that, yada, yada, yada. Like, but if dairy works for you, don't think yourself into like a sickness that you don't have, like listen to your body. There's a difference between an intolerance, like, oh yeah, I feel a little bit bloated when I eat seven slices of pizza, right? as opposed to like a full-on anaphylactic shock. So like there's always going to be a sliding scale. I honestly just think, I mean, I've felt like this for a long, we, we know this, right? But I just feel like more strongly about it than ever before. I mean, the number of people, especially since I brought up this dairy thing who I'm looking at and I'm like, I feel like you are creating reactions in your head to things like, like you don't want to be able to tolerate dairy because it's easier for you to say, I can't have, like, I can't have that because I, I lactose intolerant than it is to be like, I'm just not going to eat that. Like if you're not going to eat it, just own it, you know, but I think that people just want an excuse to not eat it. And then I'm looking at, I mean, and I, I was this person and I still will have nut milk here and there, but like, I look at oat milk. Oh, I never have gotten I'm into so oat, milk. oat milk. I, I can't, we, let's get into it. It's like, I've never been an oat milk person, never bought it in my life. I think it's disgusting. Um, but even almond milk, like, I'm like, why the fuck would I be like, why are we milking nuts? Like this make we're going, where we're going to all of these efforts to make like a paleo alternative, like there shouldn't, I'm just like, it's stupid. Like it's, it's dumb. <laughs> First of all, and if you're actually, uh, don't even get me started on this, but if you are truly quote paleo, cavemen weren't eating almond, they weren't drinking almond milk. I like, know. Like, they weren't doing it. I've been saying this for, you know, when I got into CrossFit 10 plus years ago before CrossFit was a cool thing, like 
And I was hardcore. I was giving paleo seminars like at every gym I went to. Like, I get it. I was on that camp. I understand. I think part of it is psychological of, again, we want to feel like we belong to something. And it's this same dialect that we speak or language of like, cool, you don't eat dairy and you don't eat this and whatever. But again, it's always about like looking at the bigger picture, like, okay, to your point, like almond milk or oat milk or whatever, go and look at those ingredients or people who are so concerned with the environment as we should be and all the problems we have going on. Like, do you know how many almonds it actually takes like to make a carton of almond milk? Like there's also waste there. So it's like when you're adding in whatever, all these hydrogenated oils, the same thing with all these like beyond meat burgers and all that like fake garbage. Like (laughs) we have to really start going back to the basics of being label literate and like looking at the ingredients. And what I used to always tell nutrition clients was like, you should be able to identify your plate and number one, point out where everything came from if you're truly quote paleo and list the ingredients. So like people, for instance, who give like rice and potatoes a hard time. I'm like, what are the ingredients in rice? Rice. And I'm like, okay, now name the ingredients in your keto cereal. And there's like 30 (laughs) things in there. So like, where's the discrepancy, you know? And it's like, at the end of the day, do what's best for you and what makes you feel good. But also like, let's lay off the food judgment that's been going on, I think for a really long time in this like zealot kind of, I have to belong to whatever world. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'll just offer in case, in case it helps anybody else, because this is my experience. When I stopped eating paleo bread, I just ate plain like gluten-free because I have celiac, right? So when I just ate plain gluten-free, like, like gluten-free white bread or gluten-free sourdough or whatever, I can even have like, I can have like traditionally made regular sourdough. I'm fine, but you know, um, no digestive issues. But when I go and I eat my like paleo bun, I feel like a piece of shit. Cause think about how heavy that, like all the nuts, it makes no sense to me, you know? Uh, so, and same thing with like, I don't know, pastas. Like when I've just gone with the straight, like gluten-free, uh, or even like sugar, like I'm, I'm not, I, I used to, I mean, you know, I was the queen of zero sugar and I'm like, I literally the other day I, I just spooned some plain old organic cane sugar into my coffee and my family had a meltdown. Who the, who are you? And I was like, I was like, honestly, I would much rather have my, my organic cane sugar than your xylitol. I would much rather have it. (laughs) And to your point, like I got, I think we may have talked about this when you were on my podcast, but like, I got really into, um, like I wanted to make homemade pasta. It was like a goal Mm -hmm. I had or whatever. And I was making it and it's literally eggs and double zero flour and like water. And that's it. And I think about some of the crazy fake health foods that I ate that I thought, you know, what I call like health foods and drag over the years where it's like, just, you know, like <laughs> what are really the ingredients when I go, if I want to go to like a Nona in Italy and like learn mm-hmm. how to make pasta, they would be like, yeah, that's it. We're getting really amazing quality eggs. Then the yolks like are different again, things that we all know now because of all the information out there. But And I think to your point, kind of, I, you, I know you and I have talked about this, this idea of like psychosomatic, like, yeah, I think I have this issue. So I think I'm allergic to everything. And then what happens? People go on vacation, they eat whatever they want. And then all of a sudden, all of their like food issues disappear because they're not stressed. They're not hyper fixated on it. They're sleeping. They're like being mindful. Like they're just, they're vibing differently. So it's like, obviously we need to take a deeper look at that conversation. But I think the good part about that is, is like, I do think some of the toxic diet culture stuff is at least being brought to light. Is it being fixed? I don't totally know, but there's more conversations around it now, which I think is helpful. 
Yeah. I mean, I can't even keep up with whatever the, the new diet. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I'm, I'm into the raw milk. Uh, I'm into fruit. I'm into sugar. <laughs> I joke all the time. I'm like, yo, I think I'm going to be a fruititarian. I could eat. I probably actually do. And for all you fructose zealots out there, relax. I'm fine. For I could eat like three pounds of fruit a day. I pretty much go through like two containers of like mm-hmm. watermelon and um, pineapple, like literally every day. And it's, I feel amazing. Yeah. Well, what I've been doing, you'll like this because we've talked about this. It's like, I'll have some periods where I'm like heavier on like the dairy. And then I'll have like a week where I'm like eating basically all fruit. Like I like kind of just like cycle with what I need, you know? Uh, and I like, I feel so good with a ton of fruit. My friend was over last week and I'm, I just eat, I just ate a bunch of bananas and he was like, that's so much sugar. And I'm like, well, I guess that's my fucking problem. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's That's a me problem. And you know, what's crazy too. Like, well, obviously this is a tale as old as time as well as eating seasonally. So of mm-hmm. course, naturally in the summertime, when it gets warmer, like you want to eat more cooling and more hydrating foods. Like in the winter, I actually naturally don't want that as much. So yeah. like in the summer now, I'm just like all fruit all day, basically. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll get the protein whenever. Like if it happens, it happens. <laughs> if, if it happens. Yeah. People are very concerned about the protein. Um, I had, I had a couple of people DM me the other day and like, are you worried about protein? I'm like, I can't even, I can't. No, I'm, I'm personally not at all. Uh, people overconsume protein in America. Like it's our job and people love to think that we need, unless you're like, again, I joke about this all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. unless you're in a bodybuilding competition, like Ronnie Coleman, or Mm -hmm. like you're really, really working out a lot, or you have some kind of severe, like nutritional deficiency or whatever. Like most of us get that calculation wrong. It's like 0.8 to 0.1 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So basically cut what you're having like in half. People don't need <laughs> a gram of protein per pound. Like you just yeah. you don't, you really don't. And again, I'm sure there will be p- people that come after me for that. But like the research shows that too much protein actually can cause things like mTOR and excess, which has been linked to cancer and things like that. So with everything with health, there always has to be like a sliding scale and people hate that answer, but like too much protein can be problematic for the body, especially if it's like your typical meathead bro diet where like it's not organic, it's not grass fed and you're getting, you know, or if you're grilling it at really high temperatures, like whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. every like we were joking, like everything kills you these days. So we don't know anymore. We, we don't know. I mean, yeah. And that's like it's there's the pro and con of everything. Like, I think it's funny. You have all these people that are like super high protein keto and then you have the super low protein keto like mTOR versus like muscle. And I'm like, I, you, you can't even keep up. And you know what? I'll, what I've gone to is just like, you know, how is my body responding? And when I was eating because I ate a shit ton of protein, I was super pro protein. Um, I, and I 100 percent think that was the thing that was making me super constipated. 100 percent. Oh my God. Protein farts is like a thing in the bodybuilding community. It's like a very disgusting thing, but like, I mean, people get bloated. And again, if you have poor digestive health, if your digestive enzyme functioning isn't great, um, proteins, number one, like more metabolically active to break down. So sometimes people actually can feel really tired and lethargic if they're eating like a lot of it, and then they're not breaking it down and it's putrefying in like your GI tract. So it's like, again, I think it's just like, people need to, I, I've been saying this forever, but like, just stop trying so hard. Like do less, you know, it's like that scene in forgetting Sarah Marshall, like do less, like yeah. honestly do less. That's like the best, that's been the mantra, like work out less. The only thing they should do more of is like sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, 
do less, like stop working out so much, stop being such a spaz, stop like being so like ingrained in every single detail. Cause that's like stressing the body out way more than, you know, again, like having a little bit of the real thing or just like, you know, having moderation is like, God forbid we ever practice moderation with anything. Cause in America, if like a little bit is good, then more must be better. I know. Oh, I've been having this conversation a lot. I feel like with different people and I've mentioned on the podcast, like there's a point where all of these things in your morning routine are just more stressful because now your morning routine is 10 hours. <laughs> oh my God. I, you know, I can't. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, okay. I have, I have a few places I want to go, but I just want to, I just want to give you some space. If you have anything else to say about oat milk. <laughs> oh, oat milk is basically grade a trash. Most of the oat milk out there. Number one is I mean, in conclusion, make it yourself. Absolutely. If you want to like make oat milk yourself, that's if you want to milk some oats. <laughs> yeah. But like, otherwise a lot of it really is act number one, most of the oats are not organic. So there's that conversation. Most of the, uh, like hydrogenated oils that they're adding in there, soybean oil or whatever. So just, if you're going to drink oat milk, do whatever makes you happy at the end of the day, I don't care, but read the label and make sure it's organic and maybe like just slowly cut back because you're spending what, $8 on oat milk, like every week, let's, you know, pick our back. I don't know why people are so obsessed with oat milk. I read, I don't even think it tastes good. I, I never got into it. Cause I just didn't even think it tasted good. It didn't make sense to me. Like almond milk made sense to me Yeah, m- more sense to me. Cause I'm like, I could make that at home. I'm like, I don't, I don't get what this other shit is in oat milk, but I saw this thing on Instagram and I had never seen this before. And somebody was breaking down the ingredients and like saying what it actually was. And one of them, they said, this is what Tums are made out of. Nice. And I was like, what? It was like calcium something. Um, but I'm like, wow. And they're like, you're basically drinking Tums. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, with anything, I actually, I saw a couple of weeks ago in the store, I think it was like, it was called like banana milk. And I was like, do we need this? Do we, is this where we're at in America? Like, do we, do we need banana milk at this point? Well, I actually, I actually make banana milk. But you make, you make make banana milk. I make banana milk and strawberry milk. I I do just like, you know, half a banana and milk and then it gives it a nice little like, yeah, (laughs) you're making it, which is fine. You know what I mean? But like to be, I'm just like, who's, who's doing this? You know, like, it's like when I have clients who will come to me, like, you know, but I don't really, I don't really work with like nutrition, nutrition clients anymore. Like you and I joke about this. Like I talk about nutrition 5%. I just, it's just not, you know, I I think it's the low hanging fruit, but you know, people will like list off all this stuff they have going on in their life. Like they're in a toxic relationship. They're stressed out. They hate their job. They're not sleeping. Um, they still eat maybe like fast food twice a week. They're never working out. They're like, but you know what? It must be the salad dressing. I'm like, not it's definitely not i mean the salad dressing might be like the straw that broke your camel's back but <laughs> let me tell you we have we have bigger fish to fry and it's not salad dressing you know but i think people like to do that they like to pick one thing where they think it sounds healthy and whatever and i'm just like we got to take a step a couple steps back cuz that's that's not the problem keep the salad dressing let's assess everything else it's not the goddamn salad dressing. Well, that's why I want, I had to get out of nutrition too, because for me, it was like, I think if I just do two less grams of protein or like, maybe I just didn't move my fat three grams. I'm like, it's literally not going to make a difference, you know? And it's because nutrition or a supplement for people feels very accessible. They would much rather change tweak something in their diet, you know, or work out longer or take another pill, then they would actually address all of the toxins in their, in their life and all of the people and 
the way that they're viewing the world, you know? Um, but I think that especially now more than ever before this anxiety issue is very prevalent. And I feel like, especially in the entrepreneurship space, people are just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And I'm like, we gotta, we gotta pause. And so I kind of want to take it back 50 steps and ask you if somebody is at this point where they're like, I have extreme anxiety and I'm recognizing this, it's just running through my whole life and I feel chaotic. What do I even, where do I start? What, what do I look at? I don't even know where to begin. Great question. Because I, as you have followed me for many years, I am the queen recovering super spaz. And I always say recovering because if you're like an addict to anything, that means that you have to actively work at being aware and consciously aware of triggers, what we are allowing to continue and actually like taking ownership and responsibility for how much of this we've contributed to versus what is external. So like with anxiety, with any, literally any emotion, maybe it's not the emotion that you love the most, but we need all of them. Just like we need all the letters in the alphabet. If you all of a sudden told people like, listen, you can't use the letter O and T and and B anymore. Like you're going to lose a lot of words that you can utilize in your vocabulary and to spell with. Right. Or you and I know have given the analogy of like, it's like the weather, you know, you look outside and it's cloudy and you're not like, oh man, like, yeah, you could be pissed if you want, but that's not going to change that it's cloudy. It's information that says, okay, the last time it was cloudy, it ended up raining. It doesn't guarantee that it's going to, but now that I know that I'm going to pack a jacket instead. So anxiety, like literally any emotion is it's information, right? So like, that's the kind of overarching like answer is what is it actually trying to tell me? And I know there's been like themes on TikToks where people will be like, your anxiety is lying to you and this and that. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's just, we don't always understand it. So like the big thing is number one, figuring out like what is going on like with me and what is like potentially triggering it. But also with anxiety, anxiety is a spectrum and it's an umbrella term. So like that means that we can have a sliding scale of anxiety. So we can have like, you know, acute kind of, oh, I'm anxious for you know, a date or a podcast or whatever to full on panic attacks. And those are very different protocols. And then, you know, with that as well, it's also mostly like a list of symptoms. So we all experience anxiety differently. And it's obviously it's really common. We know that like, you know, 40 million Americans have anxiety, but there's also different kinds of anxiety, right? There's like OCD, there's generalized anxiety, there's panic attacks, there's social anxiety, which, you know, I joke and I'm like, that's why I love to cancel on plans, like, but so on and so forth, right? But with all of that, all we also know that there are actually different neural pathways that are involved in anxiety. And that's why there is never going to be a one size fits all protocol or approach for anxiety. So I think we need to first also ask ourselves, what kind of anxious person am I? This goes for stress as well, right? Like what kind of stressor am I or any health ailment ailment you have? Like what kind of person am I when I don't get enough sleep? What kind of person am I when I'm I'm sick? Because those are gonna all dictate what kind of protocol you have. So let's say that you are the kind of person that when you are anxious, you get like, you go down rabbit holes. You worry about worry. You think about fake scenarios that are never gonna happen. Like, you kind of shame spiral, you're kind of like all over the map, right? That for many people is actually what we would call cortex-based anxiety. So that is stemming from the prefrontal cortex, which is actually our logical brain. So for that kind of anxiety, if you're that kind of worry person who again, worries about worry, you're just, you know, like anxious all the time, like 
always impending doom, right? About like what could potentially go wrong, waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? That kind of person actually does really well with the what we would see in traditional like therapy for anxiety. So cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe doing stuff like brain dumps, um, potentially like writing things out, like journaling, all that kind of stuff, because that's your logical brain. So you could say like, oh my God, Brianna, you are like freaking out right now. This is actually you know, a story. This is not a fact. Right. And so this is the kind of anxiety that when somebody says just you should calm down, you're like, you know what, maybe I, I should calm down. Maybe I'm overreacting. So like, that's a very different protocol, right? So if you're that kind of anxiety person, there's definitely protocols for that. Then we have the other person who quite literally you feel anxious all the time. And as you know, like you're the queen of this, like checking in with energy frequency bodies, like it's body language for a reason. Our body is talking to us. Maybe you just were triggered by something or an environment or a person or a smell because this part of the, this kind of anxiety deals with our amygdala, that emotional based anxiety. So if you're the kind of person who actually gets, again, physically anxious, you maybe get anxiety out of nowhere. Um, a lot of the times, because this deals with triggers, pairings, and associations, this is why if you tell this kind of person, just calm down, they literally can't because they have adrenaline and epinephrine and cortisol running through their bodies. And so also the way that the amygdala is placed in the brain, it's actually in the center of the brain, which is why sometimes we overreact to things. And then when things calm down, we're like, ooh, you know what? Maybe that was like a bad move. So with that kind of anxiety, if we're quite literally feeling anxious and we have a lot of this pent up energy, you doing like a brain dump or logically trying to talk yourself off the ledge is not going to work. You need to actually put yourself into a parasympathetic state. So you can do things like working on activating the vagus nerves. You can put like a cold ice pack on your chest or take a cold shower. You can also do things like movement. You can do things like guided imagery as well. Because if you can imagine a crazy fake scenario, that means that you can imagine yourself into a good scenario. You know, some people will say like anxiety is just like a misuse of your imagination. Um, so that is something where we have to think about actually moving that. How can we put ourselves into a more parasympathetic state? breathing into a bag, right? Like I said, movement, um, screaming. I, I know it sounds crazy, but like screaming, anything to move that energy out, right? I joke and say that I'm going <laughs> to develop something one day called the Rage Institute, where you can just go and like rage clean or like punch a pillow, anything that's going to move that kind of cortisol, adrenaline, epinephrine out. So those are going to be kind of the, the, the way that we need to start is figuring out what kind of anxious person am I? Am I physically feeling anxious or am I shame spiraling mentally in my head? And then you kind of adjust your protocols from there. If you're obsessed with chocolate like me and you want a natural way to balance out your hormones, you need to get your hands on Organifi Harmony. Harmony has this rich and creamy chocolate taste, but it has zero sugar and it's specifically designed to support women's hormones. So it has cacao, of course, rich in polyphenols and trace minerals, and of course, magnesium. It also has maca, which supports energy levels and alertness. It has been known to help balance hormone levels naturally as well. There's also chase tree berry, which has been shown to help support healthy progesterone and estrogen levels, as well as shatavari, which is an adaptogen known to help improve libido and decrease PMS symptoms. Stinging nettle, which is rich in vitamins, minerals, especially AC and iron, and packed with anti-inflammatory compounds. Such an incredible blend. It tastes like heaven. 
I just put it in some hot water. You don't even need any nut milk or anything. And it's so creamy on its own. It tastes incredible. And I drink it every day. And a couple of months ago, my hormones had gotten really out of balance. I feel like from the stress of the book and everything and my periods were starting to become a problem. And so I really wanted to focus on balancing out those hormones and all of the ingredients I wanted to get more of in my diet are all in harmony. And so I really made a point to drink at least one of these a day and it has helped so much. My periods are back to being easy breezy, no cramps. Energy is nice and high again. Harmony made it so easy to get all of those adaptogens in. It tastes so good. So if you want to try out Harmony or any of Organifi's other incredible products, because we all know I use them all, just head to Organifi.com slash CTC and use my code CTC for 20% off your order. Again, that is Organifi.com slash CTC, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash CTC, and that code CTC will get you 20% off. Okay, love that. Well, what do you find more people come to you with? Because I would people come to me, I think, with the the first one, right? The cortex based mm. anxiety. I mean, and what's interesting is that sometimes, of course, the other the amygdala based anxiety is a secondary result, because if you're thinking yourself into crazy scenarios or whatever, like, yeah, you're going to feel anxious because yeah. so much of it, the, what we experience, 6.8 million Americans have generalized anxiety, meaning that we are just constantly anxious about everyday things like, am I, you know, going to be accepted to this school? Does this person like me? Is my boss going to fire me? Right? Like everyday life kind of stressors. And a lot of the times I think we make a lot of the problems for ourselves because we are still allowing things to remain in our lives that actually don't serve us anymore. We're not taking responsibility for things. We're very aware of triggers, whether that's triggering people, environments, jobs, relationships, situations, and it's just easier to stay or I can't leave or whatever it is, right? So I think a lot of it, I see um, kind of the first part, but I mean, it kind of depends, you know, if you're, if some people love it though, some people thrive on that. Like they pretend that they're, that they don't love that chaotic energy, but that's actually maybe how they grew up and their neural pathways have gotten really used to that and they've gotten addicted to that. So they find other ways to create that, you know, kind of in their day-to-day life. I'm sure you see both of those as well, like from an energetic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the latter is more of what people are coming to me with. And I think if I think about myself and when I was had really bad anxiety, it was like the former was the top layer and then underneath it was the the other part. And for me, a lot of it was I, I, when I got to the core, I felt like this is an overstimulation issue. Like I'm feeling all of these different frequencies. I'm feeling people's emotions I'm feeling information. And it's just putting my whole body in fight or flight. Cause there's too much to like too much that I'm picking up. And also, uh, that clear sentient empath connection of feeling everybody else's stuff as well. You know, I think that another level of air, another angle to look at it, especially in the last couple of years is how many people feel the collective energy and the intensity and then own it as their own. And like, I have anxiety and it's like, is it yours though? Or are you feeling that things are heavy right now? Yes. I love that you said that actually, because it's really funny because I myself has, have actually kind of dealt with both. When I was so emotionally shut off and so in my masculine energy and all of that, I think that I thought I dealt a lot more with kind of that prefrontal, like 
creating worry and worrying about worrying all the time and being anxious and thinking about all the things I had to do. And then again, because you deal with so many people who are like looking to, you know, work on their energy healing and all that. Now that I am so much more like into that and just like listening to my body and giving it rest and not burning the candle at both ends, like it's a lot easier for me now when I have a quite literal anxious moment, I'll be like, okay, Brianna, let's check in with ourselves. Like, who was I just with? Or what kind of conversation did I just have that I'm feeling depleted? And I didn't sleep well last night either. Or where did I overextend myself? Or, you know, like there was an environment that I was in that was triggering to me. So I think it's kind of like an interesting trade off, like as you get more in tune with your emotions and being comfortable with that and being more vulnerable and all that. Yes, you maybe feel it more, but it's also a little bit easier to take ownership of being like, okay, that was because I took everybody else's stuff on or like, that's actually a me thing that I need to sit with. And like, I need to figure that out where a lot of like the type A overachiever, super spaz kind of people that I see too, like who are work, 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 go, 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 go. Like they're not trying to feel their emotions or anything. And it's like, right, but you have to feel all of them, which includes anxiety. So you can't just add another thing to your list, which is adding to your anxiety. So it's like, at some point we have to kind of break that pattern as well. Totally. Well, it's funny because I, I think a lot of anxiety and depression is a misunderstanding of intuitive gifts. Like when I look back at my depression and my anxiety, I was like, Oh, that was a lot of my intuitive stuff that I just didn't know how to recognize or label. And then I plopped on other stuff on top of it. That was the more, um, masculine energy, thinking about problems, creating scenarios on top of it. Cause I didn't know how to deal with the intensity of what I was feeling. I didn't know how to deal with my feelings, you know? And so it makes me wonder if like, to me, as we're talking, and this goes back to, I mean, we were talking about this, like science versus energy, which are the same. It's just two sides of the same coin. It's like masculine and feminine, right? So they both, they go together, they balance each other out. And when you talk about like those different types of anxiety to me, that it feels like the same thing. It's like the masculine and feminine, but I mean, I would be surprised if people who have type a don't also have underlying type B. Oh, for sure. It's, I mean, most people have both. It's just, some people tend to lean towards mm-hmm. one or the more other. But so like, again, for people who maybe let's say they've had anxiety their whole lives and they're taking something like Valium or a benzodiazepine, that's actually not going to work for your type A kind of person if you're very cerebral and very, because what that does is all that's doing is putting you into parasympathetic mode. That's really helpful for when you're quite literally feeling anxious and in that kind of acute situation and you need to lower that stress response, right? So, mm-hmm. but when, when we see actually really poor compliance with most of the anxiety that we're seeing in America, when we talk about again, 40 million Americans having it, because what they're doing is they're taking that cognitive behavioral therapy approach, um, to maybe somebody who doesn't understand how to use that or vice versa, where they're saying here, just take this pill. And they're like, no, we have to actually work on rewiring like the brain pathways of what's going on or what's triggering it in the first place. So like, patient compliance is really low for a lot of anxiety protocols. Or, you know, if they're put on an antidepressant, it's like someone who has cholesterol, like, sure, take a statin if you want, that will lower your numbers on the lab work, but that's not going to actually change your particle size. Or if you have large, buoyant, fluffy, you know, LDL particles. So it's the same thing. Like you can, of course, use anything as, you know, an integrative approach. I have no problem with that, but it's, we always want to follow the string down and say like, what else is going on and how can we either be on the lowest possible dose of whatever therapy that's going to be or like figure out again, like what's going on with me? How long has this been going on? And like, how long have I been in this, in this hole, you know, and that mm-hmm. takes time and people don't want to do that. So 
Yeah. But I feel like there are ways to, like when you talk about this multifaceted approach, I know at least for me, if I think about the process of shifting out of identifying as someone who had anxiety, like they were different layers. I peeled back that made it easier for me to actually, to eventually get to the core. And I don't think I would have, like when I was trying to just jump there from the beginning, I wasn't open enough personally, emotionally, energetically to actually get there or make any big life shifts. But I know for me, like amino acid therapy was something that helped a ton. And from there, then I was able to make other diet changes. And then from there, other lifestyle changes. And then from there, I was actually available for emotional work and going deeper because I felt like up until that point, like nothing I did in therapy was helping, you know? And so I think a lot of people don't even know that there are actual like nutrient imbalances, you know, that, that I think if people just start there, that is low hanging fruit that I think can make people just calm down enough to look elsewhere. So can you speak, like, can we start there? Can we start there with like, what's, what's depleted and some basic support? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the older research when it was talking about anxiety was mostly focusing on just the amygdala, right? Which, which again, was mostly the emotional stuff. And a lot of people talked about, oh, it's just neurotransmitter imbalances, which people will argue that for the depression conversation as well, which is yes, absolutely true on some level. But again, we always want to figure out what are the common denominators and what are the mechanism of actions that are actually leading to either neurotransmitter imbalances or nutrient deficiencies or imbalances or dysfunction. And what we see in the anxiety kind of research and world is that generally there's overactivation of the HPA axis, right? So all the stuff going on with our adrenal glands, and there's actually a lot of neuroinflammation going on as well. So inflammation in the brain, some people will take it a step further. And of course, if you're going to talk about the brain and because the brain has its own whole immune system going on with the microglia and all that, the, there's going to be the gut brain connection. So some people want to you know, talk probiotic therapy and all that. I think that gets too complicated and too myopic. I think some of the really basic building blocks are, again, if we're overactivated all the time, if our nervous system is stressed out, all that, what can we do to support that? Because our body will use more of those nutrients. So a lot of times it's the basics methylated B vitamins, omega fatty acids, vitamin D, um, something also like, you know, a good, a good quality krill oil. All of those things are going to be the foundations. Adaptogens many times can be super helpful. And believe it or not, something like zinc, some of the greatest density of zinc is in our hippocampus. So like if we're having mood issues, and again, that goes back to, again, what kind of an anxious person am am I? Am I really snippy and mean? And do I feel like I have a short fuse all the time or am I super lethargic? Because those can be different things too. So I think just getting some of those, again, to your point, some amino acids, some people will do like monotherapy of amino acids. I think, again, sometimes that can get complicated for people, but your basics, like a good B vitamin, a good vitamin D, um, zinc and omega. And for some people, potentially a vitamin C, or like I said, an, an adaptogen of sorts, um, to kind of support that adrenal gland. So those are, I think, some of the basic nutrients that most Americans just living life anyway are deficient in. You can add in things like magnesium as well if you want. That's also, of course, a really popular one for the, you know, the nervous system. Um, and then some people, you know, there's really cool research now on mitochondrial dysfunction. So what are your coenzyme Q10 levels? You know, like, are you taking something to support the mitochondria and getting antioxidants? So a lot of the basic boring nutrients that have really great research that, again, they're not super sexy, but they work. And there's a lot of, 
again, working on the neural pathways, working on inflammation, working on the stress response, which ultimately is going to kind of trickle down to anxiety and depression because anxiety and depression, most of the time they do, you know, coexist. Um, and there's a lot of the same symptoms. So if you're experiencing one kind of mood thing, there's a good chance that there's some other underlying mechanisms there too. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to, I want to ask, I, I have, I genuinely want to know what you think about this because I don't know what I think about it. So just, you know, when I went through school, so I studied psychology, I thought I was going to be a psychiatrist, you know, and when we learned all about depression and anxiety, it was all around an imbalance in neurotransmitters. And that was the root cause. Right. And then in my own personal journey, you know, did all my SSRIs, did uh, amino acid therapy, that for me helped. And also when I realized, oh, a lot of my candida and SIBO, when I healed that, my anxiety just like went away. Like my depression just went away. And I thought, oh, this gut thing makes sense. And then, you know, time passes and I start learning all of this stuff um, from other people, like more in the holistic health space saying that, you know, the whole neurotransmitter idea is completely, it's just complete bullshit. Like that, it, and and that it has nothing to do with uh, anxiety or depression. It's all about brain inflammation. Um, and 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 I thought, I mean, kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense to me. And then at the same time, but also when we do it that way, it does help. So I, I don't know. I and and at that point, I was like, I don't even give a shit anymore. I passed this. I kind of passed it. I don't care anymore. Uh, it's, it's not relevant. I'm happy now. Out. I don't care. Um, but I I want to know what what your stance is on that on that conversation because just for me reflecting, I was like, honestly, I I don't really care to like. I don't know, but I was thinking, wow, I went through an entire like college education and learned in how many classes, you know, 20 different classes that this is how it is. And actually now, you know, and I was looking at, I think it was Kelly Brogan who was talking a lot about this. She's like, there's no actual research that proves this. It's all been a theory. And I thought, and I'm going through that. I'm like, holy shit. Like people are learning that like they're in their entire college, post-college doctorate, like that, this is the truth. And it's just a theory, um, that has huge implications. So I don't know what, how I feel about it, but I, I just wanted to, to see what, what you think. Cause people, people love clickbait, anything clickbait, health information, clickbait, you know, like news. So I think it's easy to say like, oh yeah, neurotransmitter imbalances. And I actually thought that for a really long time too. And when I was actually submitting like topics for my dissertation, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to write 25,000 words on something, there has to be substantial information to support this. To your point, there really was not a lot of information out there. But again, so when I was doing a lot more of the research and was looking into neuroinflammation, that is where so much I think of the the science is going to go um, over the next couple of years for so many things, but particularly again for mood imbalances, anxiety, depression, call it whatever you want, because the brain, right? Of course we have our blood brain barrier, but in the brain, we have our own, uh, our brain has our own immune system, right? And so like our immune cells actually have receptors for neurotransmitters as well. So there is a direct conversation between what's going on in our brain immune system and our quote, regular immune system, which can of course be linked to what's going on with our GI tract, right? Because not only does it produce 30 different neurotransmitters, but also it's a part of our immune system response as well. So there is that. But when we look at things like the cytokines with everything in health, there are pro-inflammatory cytokines and there are anti-inflammatory cytokines. And there's really strong evidence and research to support 
this idea of when we have an imbalance of these cytokines, which again are just compounds or sort of these signaling molecules of the immune system response, right? Which again, the immune system is just always secondarily responding to our central nervous system. So that goes back to stress inflammation buckets, right? So it's always about, again, just following that string down. So when we have too many of these pro-inflammatory cytokines, what that can do is lead to imbalances of our B vitamins, right? Which ultimately can make up things like neurotransmitters that can cause us to have low-grade inflammation, systemic inflammation in the body elsewhere that can cause us to have disruption in the microflora. So a lot of that does stem from that brain inflammation piece, again, because what that can do is then cause imbalances elsewhere in, like I said, the HPA access and then kind of the inflammatory cytokines elsewhere throughout the body, which then, you know, take it as far as you want. But that's why I think when people look at neurotransmitter imbalances, that's a fine jumping off point if you want to do research. But we always want to ask, okay, fine. If that is the argument you have, if that was the problem, what would actually happen or what would be causing that? So when people get like organic acid testing, what they're actually looking at is the metabolites of their neurotransmitters, which are mostly magnesium and B vitamins and potentially magnet, uh, like CoQ10 and all that kind of stuff. So it goes back to that bigger conversation of like, fine, take that as a jumping off point, but what are the common denominators in any of those theories? Yeah. And I think this relates to something else I wanted to bring up with you because I think, you know, for me, it was a real life experience of recognizing, oh, everything that I've learned is the root cause was still a symptom. You know, and I think about in school, what's blown my mind, especially in the last couple of years is like, you know, always learning that the gut was the, you know, that's the root of everything. Like we, we learn that like gut, gut, gut. And it's like, no drainage lymphatic, you know, and I, I really want to talk about lymphatic because this is something I've been obsessed with over the last year and has made the world of a difference. And then like going into glymphatic, like for, for me, realizing, oh, when I actually do a lot of drainage support and I'll, I just, I, I really want to talk about this because I know a lot of people listening to the show have like a, have had a similar or going through something that similar to what I have been through. And I feel so annoyed that in 10 years, no one ever, um, like, well, you did, I just didn't listen to you. Um, like was like forced me to go hardcore with drainage. And I thought I was doing it like for, for me personally, you know, I was doing sauna. I was doing my rebounder. I was doing my vibration plate. I was doing my castor oil packs. You know, I'm taking binders and like nothing was doing anything. When I started doing lymphatic drainage of massages and like physical stimulation, my, my, like entire life change. And I thought, holy shit. And then when I started getting glymphatic stuff, it was like within 30 minutes, my brain turned on and my, I stopped, I wasn't bloated anymore. And I was digesting well. And I thought, holy shit, it was that the whole time. Um, I want to, can we talk about (laughs) any direction here, but like this, like the lymphatic glymphatic root cause and how to actually support that drainage. Simply put, when there is a backup of our lymphatic system, which some people want to call our body's drainage system, it's actually a part of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And as we've learned, the immune system is a part of that stress response. So when we have poor lymphatic circulation or poor lymphatic drainage, call it whatever you want, or if we're feeling, quote, inflamed in the body, a lot of that goes back to inflammation of the immune cells. 
So if we have poor circulation and if we have a lot of inflammation, which again, inflammation is not bad. You would be dead without it. I, it's really important that we don't eliminate it, that we modulate it. But when we see people who have chronically poor levels of lymphatic functioning or quote, or even glymphatic functioning, a lot of that goes back to why is there backup? What I would call on the highways in your body, right? So like, if we have like six lanes open, which are all part of our lymphatic system, right? Like if we only have, uh, we should have six lanes and we only have two lanes open, that's going to cause things to kind of really slow down in the body. So that's what happens from the lymphatics point as well. We're not really getting a lot of, you know, I mean, movement is one of those things, of course, that can be helpful and, you know, not wearing bras, which is like, you know, that's a popular thing for girls now too, but also lymphatic herbs that they're not seen in a lot of formulas. So things like red root and Ocotilla, um, Stalingia, you're not seeing those in a lot of formulas they are very traditional eclectic herbs. So it's hard to kind of get like lymphatic supporting stuff. Hydration is going to be important, but like fire cupping. I mean, I could not be more of a proponent of that for everybody. I think that's so important. Um, and the glymphatic system, of course, that goes like hand in hand with sleeping. The glymphatic system is active when we go to sleep at nighttime. That's what actually goes and turns on that cerebral spinal fluid that goes in between all of our brain. Our brain actually shrinks so it can get in there, all that little fluid and clean everything up and clean the debris. So if we're not sleeping enough, if we have a lot of inflammation, if we have poor circulation as well, um, stagnation, and that can also be caused to poor, uh, I think, drainage or quote, elimination in your other detoxification organs. So what's going on with your kidneys? What's going on with your skin health? What's going on with your urinary tract? Like your liver, these are all other organs that play a secondary role in our lymphatic system. And then of course, sleep is probably gonna be the best thing. It is going to be the best thing for your glymphatic system as well. And making sure we're actually getting to bed um, you know, earlier in the night so we can get more of that slow wave restorative sleep and not just that lighter REM sleep that happens later in the nighttime. Cause that's when our brain is actually like clearing things out. That's why you feel like kind of brain foggy or, you know, like kind of, I call like bitch Brianna mode the next day when you don't sleep enough, because like you didn't, it would be like never cleaning out the trash in your office. Like nobody's coming and cleaning that out. So like, it's going to build up over time. And as we know, when things build up, eventually you have one bad day, your shirt gets caught on the door and you're like, and today we're going to have a men today's the day we're having a mental breakdown. So that's how it happens. So what time what time should we go to bed so that our lymphatic system <laughs> gets some Just movement? cancel all of your plans. I know. A guy asked me out on a date one time at nine and I was like, do you even care about my lymphatic health or no? <laughs> okay. You're not for me. Next. He, he obviously wasn't uh, health literate enough. <laughs> Hello? Like nine o'clock? No, I have like my retainers in. I'm in bed. Um, ideally like around 10, you know, I know some people say like earlier, but if you can get to bed by 10, 10 30, that's going to mm -hmm. be, I think super important because, you know, there are some people who say like for every hour that you're asleep before 12, that's two hours worth of sleep. I don't know. You'd have to ask Matthew Walker, who is like the researcher of all researchers on sleep. Yeah. There's like, there's, there's some of these catchphrases that people will say that, or like, if I don't know, there's like crazy buzzword. People say about that, that about float tanks. They're like, Oh, if you sleep, like That's, somebody, is that true? Do you know? I can't believe that claim is substantiated. Anywhere. <laughs> I would love to see the per, I don't know how they haven't had a lawsuit on their hands for that, but I, I don't <laughs> believe that at all, but I'm sure there's some, ben there's obviously benefits, but they say, yeah, it's like equal to like what, two nights of sleep or something? Yeah, like I know people who float every week so that like they have it done with science so they only have to sleep four hours a night. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe if you're like in NASA and you know how to like, whatever, I don't know, figure out some crazy biology way up for your body. But I don't know if I believe that, but, but again, I mean, that I mean, could be cool. What yeah. dude, what I tell people, like whatever you tell yourself, it's true. Yeah, it is. I'm very much so at that point with people that either I talk to or work with, or I'm like, whatever you believe is true. I mean, mm -hmm. psychoneuroimmunology obviously supports that. Like if you want the science, you don't want the hippy dippy side of it. But like, I'm like, I, even like a couple of days ago, I was like not feeling well. And someone's like, you're getting sick. And I was like, no, I would never, I'm not saying that to my body. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm healthy. I feel great. I feel amazing. Like, I mean, you know, but your body hears everything. So mm -hmm. like when people say things like, Oh, I just think I'm allergic or the float tank. I, I makes me feel like whatever. I'm like, okay, great. If that's going to yeah. make you feel better, if it's not doing harm to others, then do it. It's when people mm -hmm. start to take it too far and they make it become a religion or a cult, or as if that's the only thing that exists. Like that's why I'm, I'm pro living your best life. Do whatever makes you feel happy. That's worked for you. Anecdotal research is a very real thing. Like, and if that, if your body feels good, then like lean into that and then do it till it doesn't work anymore. And, and then if it doesn't feel good, you do something new and you don't judge others along the way. Like I'm so done with health haters or, you know, I'm sure, you know, you might see it too, but like, I see it a lot with people who they almost feel like they have to, like, they're like in uh like confession with me. They're, they're like, I had a headache and I, and I took a Tylenol and I'm like, oh, Oh my God, you took a Tylenol? No, you're a terrible person. I'm like, yeah, that's called integrative medicine. Meaning yeah. you can take a Tylenol and still be a good person and get a green juice and go to bed at nine. Like we can all play nicely together. And I feel like there's just so much separation now and that's not helping like anybody in the healing space. It's not. And to be honest, this is why I've just like really don't have the space for social media because I feel like everybody's marketing tactic now is th this is why this person's wrong. I'm sorry, if you're building your entire business on how people are wrong, like you need to look at yourself is how, is how I, it just doesn't, why don't you just focus on like what you would like to share? Like that's working for you, you know? And yeah. I could go off on a whole thing. No, but that's so funny. You say that I have been like, I'm so energetically turned off to social media. Sometimes I go on it. Cause I feel like I have to be on, I know it sounds crazy, but like, I have to be on it to see what is actually trending, like what's going yeah. on. It's a part of it. It is. It's a, it, I hate it, but it's a part of business. But like everybody nowadays, like this person's a coach for like, you wipe your nose with a wipe your nose with your tissue kind of coach. And I'm a, you have blonde hair. I'm just like, oh my God, to your point, like everybody's either bashing somebody or they're like super niche market. And I'm just like, I can't believe that this is the world we're living in. And like all of it just feels so not authentic to me. I like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be around it. Yeah. It's, it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel doesn't. good. And like, it's one thing to like, see something, let's say you see something on social media and you don't agree. So that inspires you to write your own piece of content. And you're like, Hey, are you like, when I was struggling with this, this is what helped me but using it as you can use it as inspiration, but then like take it in your own direction versus what yeah. people do is they see something they don't agree with. And they go, so-and-so said this happens. And this is why that's stupid. And it's like, do you feel good about yourself? Like maybe it works for them. And this goes back to like, do you actually understand that everything can work? And it goes back to, you know, if you believe it, it's gonna, it's gonna work. I mean, why have we not leaned into the placebo effect more? You know why? Yeah. I mean, I have started doing this and it has been a game changer. So what I started doing is I'll just make myself essential oil capsules. And I just decide for myself, this blend of these essential oils, when I put it into my veggie cap, it's going to give me this ability. And I take my pill every day and it fucking does it. It, it does it. Why are we not doing that more? No, placebos work. I mean, there is talk about like, I mean, I know you and I were joking how like, I'm also very turned, not turned off to science, but like, I just don't mm -hmm. find it as interesting. Like, 
and I mean, you could explain this better than I, but like, I don't know, probably the energy, the masculine energy of it, but I'm just like, it's so black and white, which is great. That's what science is for. I love science and research and all that, but I'm like, no, we get it. Like, this is the mechanism of action. This is the pathway it works on blah, blah, blah. I'm so much more interested now. And like, to your point of like, well, how are we feeling today? Like, what are you saying to yourself and what are you believing and what things are we unlearning or what things are we doing less of? Like that I think is where the most success comes in any healing journey for most people. And I actually, it's not ever really just the one supplement or the one herb or the one food. Like that's such small, like, you know, like little things that are easy to fix, but most of it comes from that deep, deep, deep work that a lot of people just don't want to look in the mirror and do that because it's ugly and it's messy. And it's like, oh shit, I have to take responsibility for like all of this mess that I've made. And you're just like, that's going to take a while. They're like, no, I'll just, I'll take this supplement. I'm like, oh God. Okay. Well, that's the thing with the science is people relate to the science the same way they relate to, uh, you know, just wanting like a certain exercise routine or a certain diet. And it's this desperate cling for like control, but it reminds me a lot of the government. Like when people say things like, well, the the government said this. Yeah. What do you like? The government is full of shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, well, the science says this. And I'm like, and I can find a piece of science to say the opposite. You know, and yeah. so at, at what point does it even matter if I can find a piece of science to prove anything I'm saying? Like, at, and then at what point is that helpful? So people like use that as justification of, oh, this is true because there's science, but there's also science in the other fucking direction. So is this even helpful? Like what's working for people? That's what I want to know. It's so true. And it's really <laughs> funny too, because like, I love Ayurvedic medicine. I really love actually Chinese medicine, like traditional mm-hmm. Chinese medicine is like my jam. I love it. And it's funny because sometimes like when I would have to try and actually find science or a paper to support something I was writing for, maybe an article or a paper, like there's not a lot of quote research that supports it. I'm like, yeah, but it's been around for 5,000 years. And sometimes things like they just work. Like, yeah, that's just the way it is sometimes. And I think that goes back to like listening to your body, what works best for me and like not having to rely on what somebody else said, but it's just like, it's easier to do that. And I'm just like, yeah, sometimes things just work and there's Mm -hmm. just, and that's even like, I'm sure, you know, you and I know both come from this like recovering functional wellness world of like, okay, so you're going to work with a client. And the first thing you're saying is, okay, yeah, our first session, you have to pay $5,000 to run 20 labs, but I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner. I'm like, do you think in Ayurveda that they were like, looking at your organic (laughs) acids? No. No. They were like looking at your poop. Maybe cool. Let's do a stool test. But they were looking at your tongue and your pulse and like checking in in your pupils, right? Like you go to an acupuncturist and they do all, I remember my acupuncturist in California, Dr. Tina Yang, if you live in California, like she's the best person ever. She literally like from just looking at my eyes, you know, the shen in your eyes and your pulse, like could tell me everything that was going on. And she was dead on. So it's like, You also have to, I think, I think be realistic too with like, yes, here's the science. This is the spectrum of that here. This is my weird hippy dippy shit over here. And then like, where can I meet in the middle? And that's, I think how we need to be approaching everything with health these days. Well, I think people need to look at like how many labs have you gotten and and how many protocols have you done? And is it helping you? And I know it triggers, it triggers people, but you you know, what has been the most helpful lab I've ever done. It has been my, my pendulum lab. And this is how I do everything for myself. Now this is how I test everything for myself. And it has been, it has been the most accurate thing. And I'm like, I, uh, there we go. Like that's it. And and it's my body. So I'm going to do what I want with it. But it's funny because you look at a lot of, I I was talking to my friend about this. She lives in Santa Fe and she goes to see this, um, healer who has like a two year long wait list. She gets everybody insane results. And the way she does everything, she doesn't run any labs. She does everything with her pendulum and people heal like really quickly. She's super hard to get into. 
Wow. That sounds like my dream. <laughs> I have a friend who's been in like 90 weddings last year. And we always joke about like, like bachelorette stuff. I just, it's like, that's my worst nightmare to me. And I'm like God. that I would be like, all right, girls, let's go. We're all going again on this pendulum list. <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to Sedona and we're healing. And like, if you're not in, get in, we're doing healing girl shit. Like, or get out, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, when, uh, when it's your bachelorette, I'll plan it and we'll, we'll do when, some. I'd be like, yo, Christina's in charge. Otherwise <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm probably not even coming, but that's fine. <laughs> it's gonna be, it'll be epic. It'll be epic. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think like, the, the science piece to me, it's an illusion. If you think that that's like giving you security because science changes and we get more information all the time. So to me, it's like, it's all, and I don't want to listen to my body because the thing is we don't know how, yes. and like, I get it. Like I've, I was there for a really long time. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to listen to my body. I think that's, what's hard is when people say like, tune in what's working. And when you like have, when you're completely disconnected, like, like you don't know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like you don't even know how to listen. So then what do you do from there? And it's funny. Cause I feel like I'm in this re- really weird space right now where, cause like, I feel like that was such a part of my identity for so long. Like, mm-hmm. and I really do love research and science and all that, but it's also just so like not interesting to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've like really leaned more into like the energy and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's like, I know there has to be this subculture of people who is like in that too, who's like, yeah, yeah, no, like we love the science like a little bit, but like, let's really lean more into like what's going on with the world and the vibes mm-hmm. and the frequencies and all of that. So it's like an interesting dichotomy. I feel like the way I have related to it has shifted in, in the fact of like, I used to anchor into the science and then see, and then look at, oh, well, who was real life experience or where does the energy support the science? And now for me, it's more like what's happening in real life and what's working and what's happening energetically. And that's what I'm anchoring into. And then I'm like, well, what science supports that? Like, okay, here's some backup to it. But um, I think that a a lot of people are, everybody, whether or not they're conscious of it, you know, the frequency is rising or becoming more energetically aware and in tune and whether or not they're conscious of why people are becoming much more savvy to what's bullshit and what's not. And so that's playing out as, oh, it just doesn't resonate with me anymore. I'm not into it. And I feel like that's why a lot of people are getting away from a lot of this stuff in the health space and the quote unquote science, because there's this piece of them vibrationally. And for some people, it'll be more conscious and other people, they won't really know why that feels can feel the energy of it of like, Oh, somebody just paid for this. This is bullshit. You know, um, like I can break any study apart. You know, if you look at any study from a psychological lens, you could break anything apart as to why it's, it's bullshit. Like you can put, put a hole in it. Right. So I think a lot of people are feeling the like vibrational mismatch between the energy of the studies or where things are paid off. And so that's why they're like, this doesn't really land with me anymore because we're picking that up intuitively. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. So anyway, and it goes back to the, to the anxiety piece, but what I want to ask, I'm curious for you because so much of it is lifestyle going back to the anxiety and the depression. What do you feel like are some of the biggest like life changes um, that really shift things for people? I will say to give an example, I feel like, and this relates to manifestation, but with anxiety, with, with mood issues, with energetic imbalances, like it's always about boundaries and they need to cut out relationships. Like it's always about people. And that's where people don't 
want to look at it. And yeah, I want to hear like, is that the area you find is most common? In my dissertation for my (laughs) doctorate, I literally put pro-inflammatory people as a trigger because it is so important. It's very easy to cut out whatever, sugar, dairy, whatever you don't feel like works with you, alcohol, blah, blah, blah. Pro-inflammatory foods, pro-inflammatory thoughts, and pro-inflammatory like people are some of the biggest things that we have. Like, so doing an audit on your energy, the people that you allow in your life, the relationships, and that doesn't always mean romantic. That also means friendships. That also means coworkers. That means literally anybody that you feel there's an energetic exchange with. That is so important. The way that we talk to ourselves and the people that we surround ourselves with and the environment that we put ourselves in, those are going to be some of the biggest things that I think ultimately impact not only, of course, your overall health, but what's going on with your physical body. Emotional contagion is a very real thing. There's studies about this. You could, I mean, you don't have to be a scientist or a doctor or anything. You see somebody else who's smiling and laughing. Like it's my mom has a really infectious laugh. When she starts like laughing hysterically, I can't help it but laugh, even if I don't know what's going on. Same thing. There's also studies and research that talk about when somebody's in a really bad mood or they're anxious or they're negative, you all of a sudden start to feel that kind of way as well. So like doing an emotional energetic audit on the people that are in your life is really important and cutting out pro-inflammatory people and cutting out pro-inflammatory thoughts are going to be, I think, some of the most important things, but some of the, the toughest work because there could be people that you've had in your life. It could be family members. It could be, you know, whatever. That's just not serving you anymore and not in alignment with like your overall health and wellness goals. So I think that is going to be number one. And then again, just like the really basic boring stuff, like go spend more time in nature with your shoes off by yourself and like doing less. Don't do things that you feel like you have. I ate this. So I have to go to the gym, like doing less, like not being so hard on your body with everything. So like more slow living movement. I know that's like a thing now, but like, you know, this idea of like, just kind of slowing down and like doing, whether that's just like stretching or Pilates or walking or starfishing on the ground with a castor oil pack, like literally just like embracing that slow living movement is going to be really important as well. Cause that, you know, from the scientific side is putting us into parasympathetic mode Mm -hmm. and then just like drinking quality water and like going to sleep. Those are going to be some of the most basic boring things that, yeah, they're going to take a little bit of time, but those are going to have some of the biggest ripple effects, I think on your overall health. But especially your mental and emotional health. I think exercise is extremely, what's the word? Like, like <laughs> it's just an area that I think is causing anxiety for a lot of people that they're not realizing, you know, and because we, we hold on to it like, oh, this is good for me. It's good for my mental health. And I don't, I think, and I'm speaking from the lens of, someone who's more oriented in the health space, right? Because that's more of my audience and both of us, like for the person that, you know, doesn't get off their butt, like, yeah, maybe some exercise would be helpful, but I feel there are a lot of people who are, you know, in their hyper healthy phase and their exercise is causing a lot of anxiety. Like I know for me, when I just stopped anything except walking, like I just walk, it was like all of my anxiety went away. We are the same person. Literally, it's been a month. I I go to Pilates pretty much. That's it. And then sometimes like there's this one gym that I like because it's just like a high intensity thing that I can do. Like my body can handle it once a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in the past month, I've walked pretty much every day and maybe gone to Pilates like three or four times. That's that's it. And it's probably like the best my body has actually looked Mm -hmm. and how I felt like walking is literally the best form of exercise. Like that's you don't need to go and 
if you want to do it, of course, it's great for your mental health, but you can get the same benefits from like walking outside. And it's, I've even caught myself of like, what if I'm going to this workout class right now? I'm like, really, what's my intention? Am I going because I truly want to go? Or am I going because I'm doing it out of a place of punishment? Or I don't like the way my body looks today. And I think that's where the relationship with working out can become very unhealthy. Like for me, a couple of the gyms that I go to, like my friends go to. So like, it's fun. And I'm a pretty big social recluse. So like, if I can go and be like social and work out at the same time, I'm like, that's great. But if I ever catch myself being like, I haven't worked out in four days, so I have to go to this class. I'm like, no, now you're absolutely not going to the class. You're going to go walk outside because you're not going for the right reasons and your intentions are not actually pure. So I think that's where it can get kind of like sticky for people. Yeah. I think the relationship. And I also just think like the overtraining piece and people don't realize how little they need, you know, I mean, I think about like, for me, I was, um, I wasn't lifting heavy weights. I was lifting like 15 pounds. I was doing like 15 pound dumbbells and like, like that, like three to four days a week. Yeah. And then like, that was it. And when I dropped that and just switched to walking, my anxiety went down by like 500%. And I was like, what was going on? You know, well, I think some people too, they feel because you do. I mean, listen, it's a you you gain positive momentum too. Mm-hmm. Of course, you go to work out, you feel good, you get the endorphins like, of course. Right. But mm-hmm. then like workout anxiety, guilt kicks in the guilt mm-hmm. thing where you're like, I didn't work out and I feel bad. Like, you know, so you feel like you have to or it's been three days. And I think that guilt and anxiety, I think, are, you know, like cousins of emotions mm-hmm. where fear and guilt, or it's fear. It's a fear coming from a place of like, well, if I don't work out, then I'm going to all of a sudden lose all of my progress, or I'm going to get fat, or I'm going to gain whatever your fear is. So I think fear and guilt, if those are your driving motivations, those of course are like, those are the three amigos of like anxiety, if you will. So again, Mm -hmm. like what's the intention actually of me wanting to do anything in life. And I think if any of those other secondary emotions are going to be like a driver, then like, you're probably going to feel anxious, you know, on some level. Yeah. 100%. I think like, to me, it also is like the, I mean, going back to caveman, I'm like, we would have been walking a lot. We would have been standing a lot, you know, it would have been yeah. just like, we, I don't know, doing random, like picking flowers. I don't know. Like, yeah, I got it. I got one of these like little, whatever office, you know, like uh-huh. treadmills from like Amazon. Yeah. And I love it. Cause if I'm sitting for like an hour doing work, I'm like, okay, well now you're going to go walk. And like, mm-hmm. I'll like check emails or just do whatever. Like, or listen to music or a podcast for 20 minutes. Like it doesn't yeah. like even that. And like, you don't have to walk 90,000 steps a day, whatever, <laughs> just like get, you know, but you also don't have to like kill yourself in the gym mm-hmm. 10, you know, like 10 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's again, like a little bit is good. Doesn't always mean more is better. Mm-hmm. So the exercise and then the people, I am wondering, like, how do you navigate that? Have you had that where you realize somebody that's close to you is inflammatory. And then how do you navigate it? What, what is, what do you do? My biggest, um, barometer for this past year for realizing people that were like, I would call pro-inflammatory people is who can I share good news with? There was a lot of people I realized that I actually, that were in my circle, but were not in my corner. And that was a very hard pill for me to swallow because I assume just because I give a lot to everybody and I'm really caring that everybody was the same way. And when I started realizing that I wasn't getting that same energy back, or I think a good, a good prompt for people is like, when you see that person calling or you have to hang out with them, are you like, Oh God, I have to answer this call. Or like, I got to call them back. Or when you come back, do you feel like you have to be on? There was a lot of people that I realized that I felt like I had to be quote on with where I was very performative or I had to, it was very energetically draining. And I just, I didn't like how I felt when I came home, there was no energetic, you know, exchange. 
Whereas like when you and I have conversations, like you feel revved up at, you have some people like that you just feel excited about because they're also, con- they're also contributing. So it's like, are they contributing or contaminating to my overall energy? And is this actually somebody who genuinely is happy for me and I can share good news with? And you'd be surprised that answer is a tough one because you're like, wow, I'm super excited and a hype man for a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, really, and I think it's maybe, I don't know, guys, it could be different, but you know, this past year, I had a lot of really cool, exciting things happen. You know, like I bought my first house. I finished my PhD. Like, you know, I like threw my mom, this like amazing surprise party. I was featured in a magazine that was like a dream of mine, like all just really cool things. And I had a couple of friends that like, because I wasn't getting engaged or married, like that wasn't a, you know, that that wasn't a priority for this past year for me. So I didn't have a registry for that. But like my other successes weren't celebrated. And that was a real eye opener for me. And I think I think there are a lot of women who do struggle with that sometimes where it's like, you can be successful in other areas of your life that are outside of just a relationship. And if a friendship isn't serving that anymore, or recognizing that that can also be like, anxiety inducing, of course, because you're like, oh my God, I have to go hang out with this person. And like, I can't even like be who I am and be excited about the things that are going on in my life. So I think that's like a really good audit to just check in with like, how do I feel when I'm with this person? How much of myself can I be? And how do I feel when I get home from this environment? It could also be environments too. Like, oh, I used to always go to this place or this gym or whatever. And you're like, I'm just not like, it's not working for me anymore. And I think like figuring out the why is not important anymore. Like, I think like figuring out the why is canceled. If it doesn't feel good, doesn't feel good for a reason. Or if you're indecisive about it, that's, that is your decision. So like just not having to always be so analytical about like, but why? And we put in time and this was 30, 20, 50 years of whatever, like that doesn't always matter. You know, time doesn't always equate to, I think like uh, energetic reciprocity. I 100% agree. I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday. Cause she's like, I need to move. Like I, my body, I'm so anxious. I hate being here, but like, but I've never been so happy in a place. And we have, we have a house and we have all these business opportunities. And I'm trying to figure out like why I don't like it here. And I'm like, does it fucking matter? Your body, you're telling me you hate, like you can't exist. You have extreme anxiety Like get the fuck out, you know? And I totally agree. I think like, we don't really need to analyze it. There's a bigger picture going on. We're being like led to something that we're, we usually don't even know it's going to be a waste of time to try and figure it out. Cause once you get to wherever you're going next, you're going to look back and be like, Oh, that's why I had to get out of there. You well, know? you actually said something really profound on my podcast that really resonated with me when you were like, if you really do trust the universe and divine timing, it's like jumping into a pool where your parents are basically and being like, yeah, yeah, they're going to catch me eventually at some point. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. like, they're going to swim up to me. You said it much more eloquently. <laughs> I'm like summarizing, but like, that's kind of sometimes when I even feel indecisive about something or whatever. I'm like, no, but I said, I trusted this process. So like, I haven't found my mom yet, but she's in the pool somewhere. And I jumped and like, we're going to figure it out, you know, but I think that's like a a big helpful thing too. Sometimes of like, Mm -hmm. you can either, you know, like worry or you can trust, you can't really do both at the same time. And if you want to distill that down even more, I mean, that's why people tell you when you're feeling anxious to feel grateful. And I'm like, right. But in any moment, and they say that because your body, apparently your brain can't experience two emotions at once. So you can't be super anxious and be like, I'm so grateful for this experience. So it's that idea of like, kind of just, you know, pick a camp and lean into that placebo, like, you know, okay, everything's going to be great. I feel amazing. Like eventually it will come to fruition. Mm -hmm. I will say, I'm not sure that works for me. Like when I think about like, that's not how I do it. Like if I am feeling anxious, I don't immediately to shift into gratitude. 
like immediately. No, I don't I could, do that either. Yeah. I'm like, I could say oh, I'm grateful, but I wouldn't feel it. It would be fake. Um, and vibes don't lie. Right. So you can't, you can't fake frequency. Uh, and, but what I do is it's exactly what you just said, is I remind myself, like, what do I really trust here? Do I trust my ego and my stories and my limiting beliefs? Or do I trust my soul? Do I trust the universe? Like, do I trust the bigger picture? And I'm like, I have so much evidence in my life of jumping into the pool and I'm always caught. It's not going to be different. So just like, it's okay that I feel this worry. It's like, it's fine. And also like they're there, little child in the back seat. Don't worry. You're going to like it when we get to the party. Yeah. And sometimes it's not fine and that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I, this toxic positivity all the time and always like, you know what? Sometimes I'm just having a bad day and that's <laughs> a bad moment. Like, and you know what? That's okay. It's, you know, I, I heard somebody once say like, you know, a new day starts at midnight, right? And it's actually pitch black, dark out. So if you are in a pitch black, dark moment of your life, that doesn't mean that you can't start a new moment, a new chapter, a new day, even if it feels dark. So like, it's okay. You don't have to have sunshine coming out of your ass all the time and being okay all the time. So like, it's fine either way, you know? I love that. It's okay. If sunshine isn't coming out of your ass, it's totally it's okay. Fun. Like we're, that's not, that's not normal either. Sun, I say this all the time. Sunshine all the time makes a desert. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. It's experiencing the full, the full range of emotions to your point. They're all helpful, right? Because the, 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 I'm not feeling good is indicative of like, I'm out of alignment. And mm-hmm. when I can identify what, where I'm out of alignment, and make a shift. Now I find my liberation, my freedom. So, most, you know, what it is? it's because to your point, like so well said, you're out of alignment. And a lot of it is actually, it's not, it's mostly on us because yeah, there are some people that are maybe again, triggers that they push that first domino, but how long have you been allowing that to go on? Mm-hmm. How long have you been participating, actively participating in it, consciously choosing that for your life still? There are some things you ask abs- like, okay, listen, if you absolutely hate your job, I know there are some people who are like, just quit. And you're like, well, well, I have a mortgage and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think there's a fine line of like people just being so cavalier with certain things, but we have to do change happens when you're tired of your own bullshit. I have been saying mm-hmm. that for as long as I can remember. So at some point you do have to truly take responsibility of like, yeah, maybe I don't love this emotion, but how much of it is because of me that I'm actually allowing. Mm-hmm. 100%. And what I'll say is like, I get that job, like the job thing. And it's like, well, it's not that easy. It's not that easy to just leave. Like, oh, I have a family or I have this house. And it's like, I get that. But like the logistics will still be there after you decide. And none of the energy can shift until you decide. So maybe the logistics of getting out of the job, maybe you're like, oh, I can't like, cause I have this and that. And it's like, okay. But like, if you just decide, like I'm getting out of it now, you've committed to that. And now the energy can shift. So that the opportunities like drop in and now you've shifted your mindset. So you're more solution oriented rather than problem oriented. Like you're never going to get the solution as to how to get out of it and make it work. And it's like, are you committed to it working? Are you committed to struggling? Like pick one. So that's where like, I, I often am, I'm like, just decide. And then after you've decided now we can be solution oriented and like work through, work through the logistics, but people block themselves because they're trying to work through the logistics before they decide and then they never get anywhere. So at a certain point, you just got to, you do have you to just make fucking more decide. room for it. If you want to yeah. get a new couch, you got to get rid of the old couch. You know what I mean? You're going to have <laughs> yeah. couches in your living room. That's stupid. You know, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, I, I, I heard that in this really interesting book. 
Did you say that? I didn't. Oh, no. You know what's so funny? Oh, no. I did like an it's That's so funny. I mean, I love that book. Honestly, that book. I've told so many clients about that. But I didn't even know. I wasn't even quoting that. But yeah, also Christina said it. So then it's doubly true. There we go. It's it's in the book. Oh, my God. So I love funny. it. It's the same frequency. Oh, my God. Well, so I could talk to you forever. But before we wrap up, I know you have a new course out. Um, tell us about your, about your new anxiety course. Oh God. So my befriending anxiety course, um, this is basically my life work of, I pretty much took my dissertation, which has been my, again, like life research. And I put it into a self-paced e-course. So it's like literally my baby. I'm so proud of it. I love it because it's really for anybody who's looking to take a really deep scientific dive into anxiety as opposed to just saying like, I just don't want to be anxious first. It's for that person who really wants to like dive deeper. So like there's five different modules, which is really cool. So we go over like the origins, what could potentially be causing it, right? Like we go over the different neural pathways because that is really important for figuring out what kind of protocol is going to be best for you. We go into different triggers and then we also go into um, herbal and nutraceutical protocols. So, you know, like vitamins, minerals, all of that. Um, and then different coping mechanisms. So it's like really, really just like in there. It's a deep dive. I am so proud of it. And I'm I'm just like really excited to share it with people. So it's my befriending anxiety course, which can be found on my website, which is just briandiorio.com or um, briandiorio.teachable.com. So very excited. Perfect. Well, we'll put uh, your links in, in the show notes and is your handle Dr. Brianna Diorio or Brianna Diorio? No, Diorio? it's still just at, it's just Brianna oh. Diorio. I think in my bio, I have it as Dr. Uh-huh. Brianna Diorio, but I just, it's not Brianna Diorio. If I was a doctor, I would make everybody call me doctor. Doctor. You know what? It's crazy. I like forgot that that even happened. <laughs> like just talk about just so on to the next thing. I'm like, okay, which is such a bad quality. You know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I like totally, blo- I mean, you're like, talk about like a stressful traumatic event. I'm like, I've totally blocked out that entire portion of my life of my dissertation where I'm just like oh yeah I forgot I have a PhD I forgot about that. well Dr. Brianna <laughs> I appreciate your time and expertise yeah we'll put everything in the show notes uh so if you guys are interested in going deeper into anxiety then check that out and just head to Brianna's page for her amazing reels <laughs> you're my you're so, I just every day I'm like what is she going to spill the tea what on? What shenanigans is she going to be up to today? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? So you got, can catch up with Brianna there. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Happy. I appreciate you. Huge thank you to Brianna for coming on the podcast. If you want to check out her befriending anxiety course, just go to briannadiorio.com. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at briannadiorio. All of those links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to take a screenshot and share it to social media. Tag me, tag at Christina, the channel podcast, tag Brianna, of course. That way we can see that you're listening and share it as well. I always appreciate that so much when you guys do share the episodes to social media. It really helps to spread word about the podcast and helps us continue to grow our incredible community. As always, if you want to take a minute to give some extra love and put that good energy out there, leaving an iTunes rating and review is the best way to show support for the show. If the content has helped you in any way, whether that be just some entertainment, something you've learned, a way it shifted your life, it really, really means a lot when you do take that extra minute to leave an iTunes rating and review. So thank you all so much for for doing that. I can't tell you how much it means to me. That's going to be it for today's show. I appreciate you so much for listening in. 
And I hope you have an incredible rest of your day. I will chat with you again next episode.